This is Notable Nerds, a pro nerd report podcast where we introduce you to really cool nerds who are doing really cool things. I'm your host, Sebastian Malden, and my goal is to highlight nerdy, talented people who are killing it in the world. In each episode, we will hear their origin story, and they will impart a bit of advice and wisdom to others who might be looking to get in their industry or just learn something new. Without further ado, thank you for joining us, and now let's meet today's Notable Nerd. Hey, it's your boy Sebastian. Just wanted to give you a heads up that this episode of Notable Nerds was recorded before I changed the podcast name from The Pro Nerd Report to Notable Nerds. Notable Nerds is a podcast under the Pro Nerd Report brand. Just wanted to let you know so you didn't think you were listening to the wrong show. That said, thank you and enjoy. So coming up on today's show, we have a very special guest with us today. He is a super movie buff and the host of the Greatest Movies of All Time podcast, it is Thomas Duncan. He and I are going to dive into what is the best movie of the year so far in 2022. We're also going to give our most anticipated movies for the remainder of 2022, and we're going to tell you who is the best Joker. Is it Heath Ledger or is it Joaquin Phoenix? All this and more on this episode of The Pro Nerd Report. Topic number one. Ladies and gentlemen, like I said in the intro, we have a very special guest with us today. He is the one, the only, Tom Duncan, the host of the Greatest Movies of All Time podcast, the host of the Dynasty Download podcast. Man, he's everywhere, and I'm very glad he's on the show today. How you doing, Tom? I'm doing wonderfully. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Like I said, I'm glad to have you on the show. So for the people who might not know you, can you introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Greatest Movie of All Time podcast is a show where my dad and I put together what are the factors that make a movie great. Uh, We have six characteristics. We have six characteristics and we go through and we grade movies on these six characteristics. Golly. And we grade movies on these six characteristics every week. Uh, Classicness, legacy, impact and significance are just among some of the few. We are about to release 100 or episode 127 here on Wednesday, and it's been a fun ride so far. I think the top movie on our list was Jaws up until recently, got surpassed by Casablanca. As far as the Dynasty Download, that is a football or fantasy football podcast specifically targeting uh, Dynasty players, which is a longer term form of fantasy football that never takes a holiday. You can do everything during the off season. You got to pay attention to the draft. You got to pay attention to all the free agency moves. And so we take you through the off season, which is where we really make our money and make sure that everybody's prepared if they want to do this style of football, because it's more involved, but it's even more fun. Well, that's great. That's great. So what movies can we look forward to hearing about next on the greatest movies of all time podcast? So we're about to record on Wednesday a episode on Scream, uh, the genre-redefining horror film from 1996. We have a journalism month coming up with such movies as His Girl Friday and Broadcast News. I know for our holiday slate, we have Avatar coming up before the new sequel drops. And we also have Elf and When Harry Met Sally to end the year. Not a bad list of classic films there. I, I'm we have going a to be few other tie-ins to 
such as uh, From Here to Eternity, because we're going to be dropping that on December 7th. So that's got a good tie-in. We also have for Veterans Day coming up, The Great Escape. So a oh, lot of classics. Cool. Yeah, a lot of classics. A lot of classics. So y'all got y'all going to be busy this, for the <laughs> remainder of the year. Really busy. Yeah, we drop one episode a week for that show. And when it comes to football season, we normally drop two episodes for the other one. So it's uh, it's a grind. Yeah, yeah. It's like ramping up now. <laughs> you had your off season, so now it's fully time for the ramp up. Well, that's going to be exciting. So, like I said, I'm glad to have you on the show. But I want to ask you, how long have you been a movie fanatic? Well, I've been watching movies... I'm trying to express this. I've been a movie fan since I was probably about 18 months old and could figure out how to operate a VCR because I go back that far. I think my parents are still annoyed with the fact that I used to watch the classic Disney Peter Pan on a loop like four or five times on a Saturday. Wow. I was Jungle Book myself. See, everybody's got theirs. And <laughs> for whatever reason, the story of Peter Pan has always appealed to me, or at least at that age it did. Hmm. But I would say that where it crossed over, and there's always an age where you kind of transition from a lot of the kids' films, the Disney films, the animation stuff, and you kind of start to settle in on what are adult movies. And I can pinpoint the exact movie, and it will come up here in a second again, that really transitioned me from kind of these small films to, oh, this is what an adult movie is. This is exciting. I like this. And that was The Departed. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Not a bad movie. One of the best movies of all time. So not bad at all. Yeah. uh, So roughly about 2005, I watched it after it had won Best Picture, just because I wanted to see what the interest was about about, or Mm -hmm. the hype. Yeah, that's a good word. And uh, that was one where I just put it on and I'm like, holy shit, movies can do this? <laughs> that's uh, that's amazing. I that's should amazing. I should have asked, can I swear on here? Yeah, yeah, you, you're okay, good to go. Okay. Let it fly. All right. So, I got it. so let's segue into that. What are your top five movies of all time? I'm putting you on the spot. We do it for all of our first-time guests. I got to do it for you, too. So I have a 100-movie ranking of my favorites as opposed to the best because my show is all about trying to figure out what is the greatest movie as opposed to best. And then I think that best, favorite, and greatest are three different things. And I could say that within film franchises. My favorite Star Wars movie is different than the best Star Wars movie, which is different from the greatest Star Wars movie. Oh, man. I'm right there with you. I'm a hard critic, so I love this. I love hearing this. So hold on. on. Before we go to your top five, what is the best Star Wars movie? What is your favorite? And then what is the greatest? So my personal favorite is Revenge of the Sith. Okay. Because I'm one of the millennial types that kind of actually appreciates the prequels in some sense. And given how bad the trilogy or the sequel trilogy was, um, especially nine, which mm-hmm. I think is, I, I can't even sit through more than a half an hour of anymore. <laughs> I just, I have to turn it off. And I liked uh, both seven and eight, but nine just kind of ruined it for me. I'll go with three as my favorite. That's been my favorite since probably when it came out, just because I liked a lot of the lightsaber duels and the other things that were going on in it. The best Star Wars movie is Empire. It always okay. has been. I really don't think that's up for dispute. Mm-mm. And the greatest, I think it's the original, 
but I could accept an argument for Empire as well. Okay. Okay. So not a bad list there. My, I'm kind of right there with you. I think the only thing I would change is like my personal favorite is Rogue One. I don't know why that movie just really speaks to me. I love the the cameo at the end. I thought that was absolutely phenomenally well done. I loved that all the moments meant something, all the sacrifice meant something, and it led into basically a new hope. So I really, I really love Rogue One. So you got to be really excited for Andor. I am. I'm terribly excited for Andor. I'm. I'm really hope that that show is all that I hope it can be. Honestly, from Rogue One, if you give me an entire movie of the Darth Vader Hall scene, mm-hmm. I will take it. Oh Every man, day I love it. Of the week and all day on Sunday. Man, when when that lightsaber just activates and you just see the reflection of like his his like shell in the lightsaber red glow, I was like, oh. This is amazing. This is one of my favorite scenes in all the Star Wars now. And he mm-hmm. him mowing all those people, all the rebels down just to get just to get to his goal. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. To me, as somebody who didn't grow up with the original trilogy, that was the first time I was kind of actually terrified of Darth Vader. Oh yeah, same here. Same here. Because I was a I'm a '90s kid, so I'm like, right. For me, like he always moved stiffly in those old movies. Where I got to grow up with the prequels, where all the lightsaber duels were larger than life, where they were really like the they were really showcases of what Jedi's can do. And then going back, and well, I did start with the original trilogy, but rewatching the original trilogy after that, it everything feels like sluggish in comparison, like. It's more so about like the mystique of the character rather than actually seeing him flex and get to be that larger than life villain that we we know he could be and we know that he is to that universe. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, I'm right there with you. So let's um go back to it. What are the top five movies of all time for you? All right. I will count down. It's going to be five, four, one, one, one. OK, OK. We got three way top for first. Yeah, I've always said they're 1A, 1B, and 1C because they all have significant meaning for my movie-going history. Okay, uh, that so, makes sense. But I will kind of give them a soft ranking by which one goes in which order here. So five, I'm going to go with Ocean's Eleven, the remake. Oh, wow, okay. 2001. I don't know why that is such a personal favorite, but I could put that on at almost any time and just watch it and it's really about a all-star cast just being cool. It really is. I love it. I love that cast. And oh, so I good. really wish we would have gotten more than the three we got, but 11 and 13 to me are absolutely anything. Anytime they're on, on a TNT or a TBS or whatever on cable, you just stop what whatever you're doing and, Oh, it's this scene. Yeah. I'll watch it from here. We're good. I can yeah, pick it up anywhere. I'm right there with you. I love that. And and, you know, even it's so stylized and all these characters are larger than life. And then you have like the comedic chops of like George Clooney with Matt Damon and then Bernie Mac at the time. I loved it. It is a really good movie. Number four, I'm going to go with 12 Angry Men. The okay. original from 1957 with Sidney Lumet as his directorial debut. One of the great all time performances by Henry Fonda, who was more of a stage actor than a movie star, but definitely had his moments. And an absolutely knockout, drag out performance by Lee J. Cobb in the villainous role of juror number three. It's one of my all time favorite stage plays. It's one of my all time favorite movies. I absolutely love this movie. The dialogue in it is so wonderful. 
It's one of the more unique courtroom dramas you will ever see, especially if you get the original. And I have been trying to find some community theater to do it for me so that I could do the Henry Fonda role for years. But now I kind of want to do the Lee J. Cobb. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah. It's, I find it's one of those movies that I can find new things out of it every single time I watch it. And so for me, as an attorney's kid who, well, specifically a defense attorney's kid, it's one of these dream roles that if I were ever to get into something with it, uh, I'd just love to sink my teeth into. That's really cool. Did you, um, so you said you saw it in theater and like at, at a at an actual theater, a production of it as well, right? I don't think I've ever seen it performed on stage, but I've read the stage play just to be able to go back and compare it against the movie because they do clip out some different things, but they did a really good job of adapting it because it's a very small set production. So you really don't have to put a lot of extra into it. And they did give you some additional scenes outside of the jury room that are not apparent in the actual stage play, but it enhances the movie just slightly. Okay. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. You know, I almost thought, you know, when you said, you know, that you were going to pay homage to being an attorney's kid, I thought you were maybe going to lean towards like To Kill a Mockingbird or something of that nature. No, I enjoy that one. But for whatever reason, 12 Angry Men has always been like my calling card courtroom drama movie. Okay, that makes sense. I know for a lot of people that like uh, A Few Good Men is kind of theirs and I love that movie too. But mm-hmm. for me, 12 Angry Men is the top of my courtroom drama list and always will be. Okay. Okay. So what's the next one on the list? All right. We're going to go with 1C here and we're going to go with The Departed. Oh, not bad at all. Not bad at all. So like I said, this is the movie that kind of introduced me to adult films. Like I'd probably seen some PG-13 stuff and I'd seen the Star Wars films and some other stuff. But you could say those are kid friendly. The Departed was the first one where... I saw a guy drop off a building and splatter blood on Leo DiCaprio. (laughs) Yeah, it is very R-rated, especially, you know, for a kid. It really is. And give you the underbelly of Boston with all the accents and the cursing and everything else that was a part of it, down to even the Dropkick Murphys, which seem kind of cliche now, but at the time really fit the attitude of what Boston kind of seemed like to everybody else. So for me, that's always been a classic. It's my favorite Scorsese. I don't think it's his best, but I it's my favorite. Okay. Okay. Is that you do you think that's Leo's best? I know I'll no. put you on the spot again, but no, it's not. I I think he has two better roles in two movies that won't come up, so I'll I'll give him now. I think he is absolutely fantastic in Django Unchained is the Oh, villain. I loved him. I, I That was on my, the top of my tongue. I was like, man, if he didn't say Django. I know a lot of people will call Wolf of Wall Street, but I actually think he's better in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, that's a good one, too. That is a really good one, too. And I feel and like he had Leo fun fan, in that. So. Oh, yeah. I feel like he had more fun. You can see that like he really enjoyed um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well. And that was a favorite of mine a couple of years ago. Frankly, I would have voted for that over Parasite as the best picture that year, but I don't really uh, have a disagreement that Parasite won, even though I thought it was probably the last really great year of movies that we've had. Mm-hmm. So I think we're on 1B, right? 
So one B, I'm gonna go the Dark Knight. Oh I man, am- that's my number one. That's my number one. So I saw that at a midnight release with about 30 kids from high school that I made sure that we were all in line and got premium seats. And I have been a amateur Batman enthusiast and expert for as long as I can remember, maybe since I was about three. I've had tons of action figures. I've seen every film multiple times. I have my favorite Batman. I know all of the history going back to 1938. I mean, there, there are loads of things. And in 2008, to see what I feel is the exact right tone struck for a Batman film and to get both the villain absolutely straight on and to Perfect. get the tone of what Gotham was and to see that all in that circumstance where it was a, my first midnight showing ever. It was with a bunch of my friends. I had just graduated from high school. It struck me as probably one of the two best movie going experiences I've ever had in my life. Man, I'm right there with you. I love that movie. It's such a phenomenal movie. The tones, the themes, the narrative direction. It is such a good movie. I love it. I can't find I can't find any faults with that movie at all. And that last scene still, every time it ends and there's that bombastic as he rides off into the night, the hair oh. on my arms just stands up. I like I'm feeling it right now. Just, just thinking about it. about it. Yes. Oh, the way the score just kicks in and he's, oh my goodness. I know exactly the scene you're talking about. It's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And oh my goodness. And then um, when Jim Gordon's son is asking him, why is he running off? And why, why are we yep. chasing him? Oh my goodness. I'm right there with you. I'm like, I feel the goosebumps right now. He's the hero we need or the hero we deserve, but not the hero we need right now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Man. Oh. You're making me want to see it right now because I love that movie so much. Oh, and Ledger is the is the Joker. I, oh, for sure. I love Hamill, and Cesar Romero does a pretty decent job for what that series was. But and I love Joaquin Phoenix as an actor, but the new Joker just it, it's nowhere close. And no, Mm-mm. don't don't try. Why do we keep making this character? We had the perfect one. It's over. Stop. Stop. Yeah, but anyway. I- I'm a huge Batman fan and a huge Joker fan as well. And just this is a side tangent. I did not like the new Joker movie primarily because like I am such a stickler for that can't be Joker. It needs he needs a Batman like he needs like the Joker's primary reason for existing is Batman. And without him, he doesn't feel like Joker. He feels like a almost like a character that's calling himself Joker, if that makes sense. So. I wrote a review at the time that said Phoenix's movie is not a comic book movie mm-hmm. because the Joker famously never has an origin story in the comics. No. We have a kind of sort of hinted at stuff occasionally, but the killing joke is probably the closest we ever got to a formal initiation. And then Burton kind of went over the edge and he became Joe chill and the Joker in one in 1989. Also completely comic inaccurate. Yeah. Terrible. What, Nolan's Joker did was change the story that he had like five or six different origin stories Mm -hmm. within the movie. And that's the true version of the Joker to then give him a full backstory where he just goes insane and he has all of these reasons for why he acts the way he does undercuts the actual mystique of him. He's supposed to, I would say the, the catharsis of the character, Mm -hmm. he is supposed to be complete anarchy. Mm-hmm. And to have motivation or reasoning behind his anarchy 
undercuts exactly what the character's all about. Yeah, yeah. That's Harley Quinn more so than it is the Joker. Correct. Mm-hmm. I'm right there with you. And and that was probably my biggest criticism and why I can't really get into those Joker movies. I appreciate them for what they are. I appreciate the cinematography of those films, but I can't appreciate it as a Joker movie because it doesn't feel like a Joker movie. It feels right. like someone portraying a person who calls himself Joker. Well, and that's why I said in my commentary, the original episode or uh, comic um, release was the man who laughs, which mm-hmm. is what it's based upon. And that's what it should have been called instead of the Joker. It's a guy who dresses up a cl- as a clown, but had almost nothing to do with the comics. Yeah. So your tie-in is only for a bunch of people like myself. We're going to hand you the $15 to go see it because it says Joker on it, but it really doesn't have anything to do with that. No, none at all. Nothing at all. How do you and feel about really the new upcoming? Me, so. Yeah. How do you feel about the new upcoming Joker movie, by the way? The sequel or? Yeah, the sequel. I was fine at not having to see the other one again. Why do I need another one? But I knew that Warner's was going to do it because it made a billion dollars. It's the highest grossing R-rated film ever. Yeah. Of course they were going to make a sequel. That's what Hollywood is right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not really sold on the direction they're going with anyways. But again, I'm not the ideal audience for this film. I just don't know how you can top what you did in the first one. Because now he's... Doing what? Is this actually going to be somewhat comic tied in? I mean, you had Thomas Wayne in the first one, and technically you had Bruce, but Mm -hmm. it was a very loose tie in that made almost no sense. That somehow Thomas Wayne is both Bruce's father and the Joker's. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. That that just that one pissed me off. Uh, Me too, especially as a Batman fan. And to me, it seems like in the sequel, they're going more so the musical route. Like, bringing Lady Gaga in and, you know, making this larger than life, like musical kind of La La Land-ish. I'm, I'm not down for that. That's not the direction I want to go in with that character. I'll probably see it once because you I got to should yeah. as a Batman fan. But I mean, come on. I mean, they're, they're really going to have to do something to win me back over because I'm going to go into it with the largest chip on my shoulder. I understand. So what is one A? 1A is tied with 1B for the best cinematic experience I ever had. Okay. That's Inception. Whoa. Okay. Right around the same time, too. Yes. Yeah, so Dark Knight's 08, and I think Inception's 2010. Mm-hmm. But everything about that movie, from the amount of twists and turns and things I didn't get, and the fact that I feel, again, it's a movie I could rewatch and learn something new every single time. I'm like, it bends my mind yet. And yet, I still enjoy how I reacted initially, how I saw it the second time, the third time, and gleaned, okay, now this makes sense. Now this makes sense. Okay. And it's unlike any other Nolan film that I felt challenged me to keep up with the rest of everything, where I could get the primary story, but it also gave me all of this additional layering that I could appreciate multiple times over. And it has some of my favorite actors in it, obviously Leo. So it was always going to be a favorite. But to see that top, whether it was wobbling or not at the end, <laughs> for the first time, and just witnessing the entire theater gasp. Yeah. That's always going to be a favorite moment of mine. I understand. I still remember that. Like, the, whether or not the top actually fell over or not, I still remember that moment. So I get it completely. Um, 
I'm seeing a common denominator here. You like Nolan and you love some Leo. Yep. <laughs> so I get it. I get it completely. So let's dive into topic number one, the first topic of the show. Let's talk about the slate of movies that's come out so far in 2022. I know when we spoke previously, you weren't really impressed with the quality of movies that's come out so far this year. Is that still the case or do you feel like that's a little different now? So we had, because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. an over... We had a large glut of movies all come out last year and early on this year. And so we kind of got overloaded. But now we are in this desert where they had to stop production on a lot of movies. And so a lot of these are pandemic level movies. There are very few and far between. We don't have a lot of them coming out right now. And it's been kind of a desert in some of these pockets of the year. Uh, you think about kind of February was kind of a desert-like time. Right now, it kind of is a little bit. There isn't really much coming out between now and probably the end of September. Yeah, for sure. And so unless the award season, at least for me, because I get really invested in awards and the the Oscars and the run-up and all of the other films, because I like a lot of the really heavy, arty films as well. Unless we get a lot from that season yet, I just don't know how this is going to be quantified as like one of the great movie years. So we have a couple of the big blockbusters that have come out that have been really popular that I'm okay with, but I'm not necessarily like this is going to be one of the great classics of all time. Take, for example, Top Gun Maverick. I know a lot of people love that movie. Oh, yeah. It was really too simple for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, too straightforward. Right. I think that that's what appeals to a lot of people, that it's not very complicated. It's a very easy plot. There's a no-name villain that we have to go bomb their nuclear facility. And it could be North Korea, it could be Iran, whatever, any of these. But it's somewhere near a coast, and we have to fly, and we have to bomb these, and then we get out. And there's some maybe tied-in relationships that have to do with the original movie, but mostly it's Tom Cruise being Tom Cruise. Yeah, And we get that for two hours. And for most people, that's fine. For me, I like a little bit more involvement in my plot, but mm-hmm. it's it's a fine movie. Personally, I prefer Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. So when we get the next part one and part two of this last uh, Mission Impossible movies, that will be something that I'm really excited for as opposed to Top Gun. But I understand where everybody else is at. But then let's take it from an example of something we've discussed now heavily for the last 15 minutes. <laughs> oh, the Batman. Mm-hmm. I'm really, I was really excited for that movie because Matt Reeves took on what I thought was a very underutilized part of the Dark Knight persona, his detective skills, and really made the Riddler a much scarier villain than we previously had. He made the character more gothic. Mm -hmm. I think he went in a couple of areas of interpretation that I wouldn't have personally, but given the treatment that he gave of Batman, I can't argue with a lot of what he did. I argue a little bit with the ending, but even that one I just felt was a little bit underwhelming because it it had some parts that just didn't quite sit right to me from the destruction of Gotham at the end of the movie to the fact that even though I have actually come around a bit on Robert Pattinson, he just seemed like this really goth kid that couldn't decide whether (laughs) he was depressed or suicidal. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I can so see that. It just didn't quite ring true to me, even though there were parts of it that I really liked. And I enjoy the fact that we're exploring new areas with the character, especially if we're going to reboot Batman every five years. Mm -hmm. So you have this kind of in-between of all these franchise films, the MCU at the same time, which has been what uh, one every quarter for the last five or six years. Yeah. I don't think they've released like a truly quality movie i mean i've had a couple i've liked now but i and i will also admit that most people will point to no way home and i was a little bit more critical of that one than i needed to be in december but that one came out last year and that was even a sony project yeah with one of the legacy characters every other movie they've released in this phase five i just think has kind of muddled around but doesn't seem like it knows where it's going since you killed off a lot of the primary original characters in Endgame, which I give them all the credit in the world. They mm-hmm. landed the plane on Endgame, which I didn't think they were going to do. And it is one of the most satisfying movies of the last decade. I thought it should have been nominated for Best Picture just for the standpoint that you had to carry all of those storylines together and make a satisfying movie at the same time. I'm you can't right at least you. get it for one of the ten slots for Best Picture? Really? Anyway, not the point. But since they've done that, think of the movies that they've released. Eternals, which a lot of people hate. I thought it was a little too harsh, but I also don't think it was a good movie. No, it's a 6 out of 10 for me. Exactly. Black Widow, passable but not great movie. No. Which seems out of order and seems like a movie they should have released three years before it actually happened. Yeah. Uh, We had Shang-Chi. Which I, like I was fine with until the second half of the movie, and it got so over the top with all the CGI and the fantastical stuff and him fighting with dragons and this other stuff that just didn't seem grounded in the Marvel Universe the way that some of these other ones do. Mm-hmm. At least with even like Guardians of the Galaxy, it seems like it's on a somewhat human or grounded level as mm-hmm. opposed to being these just like way over the top magical forces. And so that took me out of it. Um, we've had Thor love and thunder, which I thought was the closest that captured some of that phase three or phase four feeling, but even that had some issues with it and was by far not a perfect film. No, and it's not quite at the level of Ragnarok, which people love. So you just start going through some of these films and, uh, take Dr. Strange as Mm -hmm. another one, uh, a movie that I saw, obviously, because I see all of them. That was supposed to set them up for this entire phase and lead into whatever is next. And yet it feels like, one, you had to watch all the TV series in order to be informed to even watch the movie. Mm -hmm. Two, it was a subversion of what we were promised going into that movie. And three, what did it really set up? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. But I think... um... I don't know whether it's the Sam Raimi-ness of the movie. Like I didn't quite connect with um, Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness as much as I connected with like Shang-Chi, for example. I'm on the opposite side. Like I like Shang-Chi, but not necessarily as high on as Thor, Love and Thunder. But um, I don't think any of those movies are the setup factors of the phase four. I think it's going to be Black Panther. I think Black Panther is going to be the one that sets the table for where where we go in the future of the MCU. Maybe, but I also think that movie is carrying so much other weight with oh, the is. loss of Chaswick, Chadwick Boseman 
that it's going to be hard for that to lead into much else. No, I, the only reason I think that is because of my primary theory of like I the between the war between Atlantis and Wakanda, I think Doctor Doom is orchestrating the whole thing, and I think that's where this is where we're going to actually be introduced to Victor Von Doom. You may be right. I know there are a lot of bigger villains coming for this mm-hmm. phase five and phase six as we kind of get to them in the next couple of years. And I'll let them try and surprise me because we do know the fantastic four is coming at some point. Yeah. yeah. He being their primary foe and the first family will be introduced in some variety. We kind of got a tease for that. If you want to say that from Dr. Strange, but I'm not sure that that's the true iteration exactly. So no, I don't think so. I think um, for me, it's when I look at like do in the comic books when they do have like the the War of Atlantis, uh, th- like Doctor Doom was the one pulling the strings on that, and it does look like there are soldiers holding Wakandans like hostage in portions of that movie. And I don't think those soldiers came from Wakanda, nor did they come from Atlantis. So that leads me to believe like a third party is involved. And for the longest time, I've always had that. I've always had it in the back of my head that I feel like. La, um, was it Latavia? The uh, I can't oh, I can't pronounce Letitia the, Wright. No, no. Um, Doctor Doom's um home country, the one he like becomes the dictator of. I can never pronounce that name right. It's like um oh Latavia. Yeah, that's deeper than I'm capable of because I was always a DC guy. Yeah. Uh, so as far as the the depth on the comics, I'm not a huge like depth of comics as far as Marvel goes. I was always um. A DC surface level from the movies yeah so so my theory and this is just based on the evidence that we've gotten so far and where i kind of think dr doom is going to come in to play later i think dr doom is going to go to skokovia like i think he's going to basically rebuild his country on the on the bones of what happened in age of ultron and I think, you know, like the Doom bots are going to come from like pieces of like the Iron Man Ultron armor that's laying all around there. I think that's where he gets like the start of his country that and and that'll lead more towards him becoming a huge presence in the Earth version of the MCU where they're going on the on the Earth side, not necessarily the space side, because that's a completely different side of the fence there. But I think. Sure. I think that's where he comes in and I think that's where like, and I think we start to get like a tease of him being the manipulator that he is in black Panther um, Wakanda forever. And another thing, reason why I believe that is because like we, not only are we kind of getting hints of that, but I do think that that movie black Panther is going to mirror captain America civil war where they where we had two entities fighting off against each other, but they were always being manipulated by the third party of Baron Zemo. And I feel like they always kind of like they loved that revisionist history of like loving to mirror something that they've done before. So I think we're gonna get that mirror effect in this movie as well. There are always echoes without or throughout these universes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think we were talking about um though the movies that have come out so far. Which ones have really like stood out to you? Well, I think I've talked about a few of the ones that mm-hmm. I mentioned already. Um, the Batman. I haven't really seen a lot of movies so far this year. I mean, part of it is, is there isn't anything particular that I feel Gravitating. I need to watch. Mm-hmm. And outside of maybe Top Gun Maverick, there just haven't been huge cultural moments around a particular movie. No. Even something like Nope. 
I think a certain portion of the population saw that, but not everybody did. And I don't think that there was like a real cultural moment behind, oh, everybody needs to see this all of a sudden, or there's a lot of memes being passed around. And so, you know, something has hit the cultural touchstone. There hasn't been a movie like that this year. I think a lot of people rushed out to see the Batman. And I think a lot of people rushed out to see Top Gun Maverick. But outside of that, I just don't think there's any one movie that's kind of hit that saturation point with the public at large that says, okay, this is something that I really need to see because we're getting either these franchise tent poles, which may or not be, may or may not be satisfying, or we're getting like Netflix movies. Yeah. And that's always which, rough. Yeah. I don't think there's a like truly great Netflix movie. No, I'm in that same boat as you. So Let's talk about some of the movies that are coming up then, because I do think, you know, to illustrate your point earlier, there are some big flagpole temple movies coming up with like Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. You do have Avatar coming out. I believe there are some other major um, films still still slated for this year. So I think we got a good direction of where we're going for the remainder of the year. So anything stand out to you there? So I would agree that Wakanda Forever is going to be probably the biggest film of the holiday season, just from the standpoint that you lost a character and an actor who had kind of become larger than the MCU. He was, he was a central touchstone character. Black Panther and Chadwick Boseman had crossed over into the general population. And so for that to now have to be replaced or to at least commemorate his memory while also moving on, that's going to be a really difficult movie to pull off. Now, I have faith in Ryan Coogler, but at the same time, I think that's what everybody's going to be paying for admission to see. Is this going to be a train wreck, or do you pull it off? And I don't think there's going to be any in-between. No, you either I'm are satisfied by the movie, or you're just going to be so atrociously horrified by what they what the choices they were that led up to whatever we're going to get. I'm right there with you. And I don't think like too his detriment i don't think there's an easy solution there because like a a part of the populace wanted to have the role recasted and then another part wanted to actually you know go in this direction of paying homage and then passing the mantle off to another character so it's almost like a lose-lose situation going into this film as well again i'm gonna have faith in ryan coogler i think they will pull it off and it'll be their most successful film of this phase or whatever we want to call Mm -hmm. it just because I think there's enough talented people around this and they know the seriousness of taking this project and making it absolutely right. Yeah. So um, I do also like the fact that we have a large gap in the MCU as far as timeline in things coming out or, you know, we're getting a break somewhat after this She-Hulk thing for um, the TV shows for a little while. We get a break from all the movies now after the last Thor movie. So there's a little bit of time where it can build some audience or some attention going into that film that's going to launch that. You mentioned Avatar as being a sequel coming up. Since the original, and that I've made the mistake of misjudging what a James Cameron movie can be. Mm -hmm. The original one, I'm like, who really cares about this? And all of a sudden it becomes the biggest movie in the history of the world. I really have the same attitude, though. Who cares about a sequel to that movie? 
I'm right there with you. I am right there with you because I I don't think if we if we really just analyze what that first movie was, that first movie is not a great film. It is a blue version of Pocahontas in space. And then when you really just crank it down to like some of the nuances of that film, none of the none of its parts are greater enough to like rise the sum of that film. I think it was the 3D hype that basically rode the momentum train. It was that almost the hype, the mystique of that movie that kind of like elevated to that larger than life status. Cause I don't really think it's a good film on its own. I think it would have been different had I seen it in IMAX or something else where the visuals are popping off the screen, but I saw it at home on a kind of rinky dink HD TV at the time. It was like 720p. Mm-hmm. It's not the same difference. And I no. think I might be attracted to it more had I seen it in that format so I'll probably go and watch this, and there's an IMAX five minutes from my house here, but I don't know. Maybe I'm making the same mistake on Jim Cameron that I did before, and I, maybe this will be a huge movie that we can't understand why it's popular, and all of a sudden <laughs> they have another big sequel on their hands. But just going in, I'm like, why? How many people, since they saw the original, really thought, huh, I need a sequel to this? Another thing is like it's been so long. I don't necessarily know if people are going to still care about that IP like this this long. Maybe, since. but we yeah, also no. had almost a similar timeline between the original Terminator, which in hindsight looks terrible from the graphics, mm-hmm. and then T two. And yeah. to be quite fair, T two is one of the most successful and best sequels ever made. So it's still Jim Cameron, but it's Jim Cameron when he's made one movie since Titanic and that's <laughs> 25 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I also, you know, I also look at this and think to myself, I'm like, I see Avatar is more of a visual showcase and it was more of like almost like a tech event. It was almost like a tech showing for some, a big revolutionary, like a big revolutionary piece of film technology that we were, this was the future of movies. And I think movies have not only caught up to that, they've vastly surpassed Avatar. I mean, we look at, we mentioned Endgame earlier. Endgame is a beautifully, like, beautiful movie. We mentioned The Batman. The Batman, whether or not you liked it or not, is a very well shot and very gorgeous movie to look at. So I think we've gotten past where Avatar was at. If he, unless he brings something new to the table, I don't feel like this is going to stand out at all. I guarantee you, Jim Cameron will bring something new. He always ups the stakes. That's always been his mantra, whether you're going back to the sequel to Alien with Aliens in 86, whether you're going to T2 where he upgraded the graphics, whether you're going to the CGI of creating a doomed ship liner in Titanic or the original visuals of Avatar, which I likened at the time to visual porn. (laughs) There's going to be something where he will up the stakes yet again. I don't know what that's going to be, and I don't know if it's going to make it as successful as the original. No, um, it's going to be interesting to see because, like, I we have Guardians of the Galaxy now, which is like really nice on the eyes to look at. We have other Star Wars, whether or not you like the the sequel trilogy or not, was really gorgeous in in certain parts. It was really breathtaking to see some of the. I guess you could say like some of the battles in space, especially like those were fantastic visual displays. So I don't necessarily know. Um, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Well, and I think it's become somewhat ordinary to comment mm-hmm. on the visuals of a lot of these. When you have something like game of Thrones on oh, TV, God. 
Yeah. The level to which we can produce visual art in this capacity and just put it out on a regular to me is it, it makes everything seem less extraordinary and thus ordinary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not lying. Cause I mean, I was looking at like the house of the dragons and I was like, this is gorgeous. This is absolutely phenomenal. They did a phenomenal job with the, the way the dragons look the way, like it's the way the show is shot. So I get it completely. You have a very good point there. Well, let's just take, for example, and I remember reading an article at the time, the Battle of the Bastards at the end of, think of it was season five, if that's correct. Uh, I think that cost more than like the budget of any one of the prequel trilogies of Star Wars, like the entire budget. That is amazing. That is incredible. Oh my goodness. The level to which we're producing these things and putting out money, especially it's kind of falling off now that the streaming wars have kind of taken a lot of the money out of the race. But when they were all trying to compete with each other for eyeballs and aren't trying to cut costs because they finally got to their growth maximum, we had so much invested in every episode of television. I mean, I think it was... They invested like $10 million per episode when they first started on House of Cards and Netflix. And that's like 10 years ago. Imagine what they're investing for like The Gray Man. I think that was a half million dollar or half billion dollar movie. Yeah. And it was beautiful, by the way. That I haven't quite beautiful. gotten to that one. But okay. for the, the other standpoint, another movie that's coming out that I'm very excited for because I love the original. But you're talking about a fairly small production that ended up becoming this underground hit, got nominated for best, I think, original screenplay. And all of a sudden, then Netflix buys it, both it and its other, excuse me, Netflix buys its sequel and its third movie for half a billion dollars each, making Daniel Craig now the highest paid actor in Hollywood. I'm just excited because I get to spend more time with, uh, Detective Blanc, but mm-hmm. Glass Onion, the Knives Out story Knives that's going to be coming up. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for that one because of the characters and because of Brian Johnson and everything that went into the original. But it was not worth a half billion dollars to invest in to get it on no. Netflix. No, not absolutely not. Especially when you hear like how much Lord of the Rings just sold for. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is insane. Exactly. That you could have probably spent the same amount of money or maybe only like three or four times that and gotten the entire James Bond library because Amazon bought MGM. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm right there with you. I I don't necessarily know if Netflix is using their money smartly, like or intelligently in these days though. They needed to buy a movie studio that they could use all of the back library and back content for. And Mm -hmm. something like MGM would have worked. The only studio that's left that's really available that's not already tied to a streaming service unless one of these streaming services dies, which seems likely that something like Peacock or Paramount Plus is eventually going to go by the wayside. Oh, yeah. Paramount Plus especially. Because they lose so much on streaming right now in order to run these things. You're going to eventually have to buy somebody, and the only player left is Sony slash Columbia. Yeah. Yeah. Which I I think would make sense for them because now you get to put on the entire Spider-Man library. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if I wouldn't be surprised if Disney bought Sony 
more so than anybody else. I think it'd be hard. I mean, it would. them having absorbed 20th Century Fox so recently mm-hmm. and the fact that they're bleeding cash right now, yeah. I, I don't know if that's quite there. feasible at this point. Yeah. If anything, they'd buy Spider-Man before they would they would just let that go to another studio, like another company. Boy, I don't know if they can, though, because the rights for that is going to be difficult. I mean, it's not like when you could buy 20th Century Fox so you could get the Fantastic Four yeah. and um, all of the old Star Wars stuff, and it basically tied in with all of your properties. If you're buying Columbia Sony just for the standpoint of buying the uh, Spider-Man franchise back, that's a lot of money to drop on. It. That is, that is. But I mean, Spider-Man's that golden goose, though. You know, you drop a Spider-Man movie, you're guaranteed a billion dollars, whether it's good or not. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you drop one of those every two years at that point. You can recoup some of that money real quick. Well, and it, especially if they can get an expanded universe out of yeah. that. Uh, yeah. In addition to it, I think there are a lot of areas for maximization. But then where is the saturation point where it becomes too much for everybody, too? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. So I got a question for you. Yeah. What movies or franchises would you want revived in today's era of movies? So my second favorite superhero was the original Hal Jordan Green Lantern. What? Oh, we get another Green Lantern movie? What? I love Ryan Reynolds. Mm-hmm. I love Green Lantern. I hated Gr- Ryan Reynolds' Gl- Green Lantern. Oh, yeah. Everyone did. I mean, it was terrible. I, I knew it at the time. I didn't want to believe it because I'm like, oh, one of my favorite actors in one of my favorite characters. But it's just so bad. And even he <laughs> knows that. So if they could do justice to an actual Green Lantern movie that made sense, I don't care whether it's Jon Stewart or it's Guy Gardner, Hal Jordan, any of those would work for me. But just do a good Green Lantern movie. How would you do it? Like, let's say they came to you and they were like, we want you to write and produce the Green Lantern movie. How would you go about making that? I mean, I'd have to go deep comic. I love the origin nature of Hal Jordan becoming Green Lantern in the Silver mm-hmm. Age because I think you could really attach that well. The problem is is it's kind of ruined by the Ryan Reynolds movie. Now, I yeah. think it's so much time away from that that it'd be okay. But if I were to do something, and I've said this for a while, DC should be doing something close to what Marvel is attempting, but not doing quite right, where you should be signing up actors for these multi-level deals and having them do all of their individual stories for content on streaming. So have a eight-episode Batman miniseries, have Mm -hmm. a six-episode Superman series, and then they all combine for this mega movie. And right now, the only way to reset everything is something they have apparently talked about. But now I don't know what the plans are going forward because correct. Mm -hmm. You reset the universe with Flashpoint because you already did it in the comics. So it'll make sense. You can combine all of these different universes, bring back characters whenever you want. And it basically says everything's on the table now for you. But the problem is if you just scrapped Batgirl 
and we don't know what's going on with a lot of these other properties. You don't know which characters are going to be serving out their contracts. There's rumors that the Matt Reeves Batman is only going to fill out its trilogy contract that they've already signed up for, and then it will go no further. You have a side Joker over here. You have a Wonder Woman movie that's not connected to anything else. You can't build anything off of that. No. And so unless you're really going to say Flashpoint is going to do something to reset the universe, and now you're going to have a continuity, the rest of it doesn't make much sense. No. So I think you need to specifically get a little bit lucky like MCU did where they cast the right people in the right roles and then give them seven, eight years of space to do multiple movies, multiple series, and then build that up from there. Because really the strength of the MCU, which is missing right now is they don't have the right characters that everybody can buy into. No, no. I mean, to their credit though, they did a fantastic job with the, the finales of like, Iron Man and Captain America. And I really felt like, you know, before Chadwick's untimely, uh, like passing, like they were leaning more so on like him to more so take, be that almost that flagpole character, so to speak, like him and Captain Marvel, I think we're going to be the flagship characters. And I don't necessarily think now they have a direction of where they want to go as far as like, who is going to be our top two leading guys. But think of any charismatic superhero over the last 10 years or such that Mm -hmm. you've really bought into is there any one of the current characters from dc that you really buy into and say that's my guy like i would say henry cavill as superman i really enjoyed but i don't think they've done right with the tone and the rest of it and so Mm -hmm. i can understand them moving on from that i didn't think that ben affleck was necessarily great as batman he was passable no I thought Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman actually fit the character, but I could give or take Ezra Miller as uh, the Flash because, frankly, I just don't think he fits. He's no. kind of awkward and it, it doesn't make much sense. And I, as much as I enjoyed the Aquaman movie, Jason Momoa is not Aquaman. <laughs> He's surfer bro. Yeah, he is. He is. He does not fit Arthur very well. I will no. say, though, um, I think the only person I would say is like, I look, I think of that character now and I think, oh, that's that person is Harley Quinn. Like, I think, um, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but, um, Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie kills it as Harley Quinn. I don't think whoever does that role next and sadly looks like it's going to be Lady Gaga is going to have her shoes, like, she's going to have massive shoes to fill. So, but I'm like, I'm right there with you. I think, they need to just wipe the slate clean and with DC. And if they do want to continue to do Joker or they do want to continue to do Matt Reeves, Batman, they need to very specifically say at the beginning of, of each movie, like earth one, two, one or earth four, one, two. And then the rest of the earth needs to just be on one continue one, like clean slate where everyone is like new actors, new storylines, a new DC, basically. I would I would really love if they just followed like the Justice League animated series. I loved that Justice League. So I'm like, if you do the exact same thing you did with that and build the team out in the exact same way, I think I'm on board at least. Well, so to circle back then around to your original question of how I would go about this, I think the easiest way to do it is to just kind of do what you did with uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Mm-hmm. Just assume that the character's been a part of everything and you write a 
Justice League story where the characters are already involved, but you don't give an origin to it. You yeah, just write the character that. as he's always been a part of the, the bigger Justice League, and you don't need this like whole gathering movie. They're just fighting some big bad guy. I'm cool with that. Uh, for a lot of these characters, I mean, the greater audiences already had like the origin pro- probably more than once. So I do not different. need to see Batman's parents killed again. No, for sure not. For sure not. I don't need another Superman origin story, so I'm right there with you. Like, for maybe the more obscure like characters, like sure. may, maybe go with that, but for the most part, we don't need origin stories anymore. We don't need lightning in a forensics laboratory for the Flash. No. We don't need Diana stealing the bracers. Mm-mm. I mean, some of this stuff has been played out. I agree. Krypton and Crime Alley are the two worst cases, and I yeah. don't need a reboot of all of those. I've seen it enough times. But just give me a character that makes sense with what we came to love about these characters to begin with. Oh, yeah. I'm fine with that. If you really want to do an origin story, do Martian Manhunter or something, because not everyone and their mom knows about him. Perfect for example. The most- yeah, for sure. But for the most part, I'm like, all these other characters, we, we've got it before. We know the general gist. And comic books are more popular than they've ever been before. We're okay. Yeah. We're completely okay. So this has been a fun episode, but, you know, we're running out of time. Before we go, where can the good people find you? I am on RonnieDuncanStudios.com. You can find the show pages for all of the stuff we've done. The entire list of 127 movies that we've done so far and all the gratings. So you can look for yourself as to all the movies that we've covered. We definitely have not gotten to all of them. I started out with a list of 434 we were going to do. And we've done a bunch of movies that weren't even on that original list. So this is going to be like a decade long project to figure out what the greatest movie is. But we'll eventually get there. Uh, All of the back catalog of Dynasty Download is available there too, but you can also find me on socials uh, either at at TJ3Duncan or at Gmote Podcast for most things. Okay, okay. Well, we we are very glad to have you on the show. Like I said, you are now a friend of the show. I'm always glad to nerd out and talk all these nerdy movies with you. Maybe when one of these DC movies comes out, we got to have you back. Maybe get your impressions on something like um, Black Adam or something to that nature. I think the Shazam movie is coming up, and that was actually one I was pleasantly surprised with. The I loved the first one. I, yeah. I thought the first one was very fun. It was a fun film. So I can't wait to see how they eventually combine the Black Adam and Shazam sequels and that sort of thing. Because that's they a character fight. I'd like to invest in, mm-hmm. but uh, it'll be interesting. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, I'm glad to have you on the show again, and I'll catch you in the next one. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. All right, bye. So that's it for today's show. I want to take a moment and give a special shout out to Thomas Duncan once again for joining us today. Go check out his podcast, The Greatest Movies of All Time podcast and the Dynasty Download podcast. Just a reminder, you can get the show later on the Pro Nerd Report YouTube channel as well as all your favorite podcast services. If you liked what you heard, please leave a dope review and subscribe. It would really help out the channel a lot. The Pro Nerd Report releases every single week and brings you the dopest topics and guests in the nerd community. This is your host, Sebastian. I can be found at Sebastian23 on all social media platforms. We want to thank you for joining us and we hope to catch you in the next one. Peace.